You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard. We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome back on today's episode of Waterflying. We are joined by my good friend, Lacey Charvet from Southern Seaplane in Louisiana. Southern Seaplane will be the first in a series of episodes where we plan to speak to seaplane training facilities and learn more about their specific operation. Lacey, it's so great to be joined by another female pilot. I know that we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a while, but you know, COVID has done its taken its toll on everybody and you guys have had like some hurricanes there or something going on yeah uh, yeah a lot of covid issues and most certainly a lot more hurricanes than i can really care to count we're just so glad you're okay and southern seaplane is okay i i we've been communicating and it just i don't envy you but i'm glad everyone's okay and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today we really appreciate it yeah Thank you both. Thank you to you and Steve for uh, having me as a guest. I'm excited to speak with you guys today. Yeah, it seems like New Orleans has a target when it comes to hurricanes. I've even sheltered one of my airplanes there in a hurricane. So, <laughs> Oh, that's right. We did have one of your planes with us for one of them. <laughs> and that was, well, we were... it made it out okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lacey, give us a little background into Southern Seaplane because this is an amazing family operation with a long and colorful history, and it's one of my favorite places to go. Well, we're, we're located in uh, South Louisiana. We're, we're just south of the city of New Orleans. Uh, my grandfather, Philip Panapinto, started the company in 1954. It served as an air charter operation catering to the oil field industry. Uh, so he would take uh, salesmen that were going to inland oil field rigs to, uh, to do sales calls. Some like Somebody in a car would only be able to hit one rig within a day, but in a seaplane, you can hit about a dozen in a day. So um, it was definitely the fastest way for salesmen to reach different rigs uh, and multiple, multiple in a day. I also did crew changing. In the 80s, the oil field industry took a downturn and my father, Lyle, uh, started to diversify the company. Our location being so close to downtown New Orleans, the next step was the tourism industry. So we got into the air tour business, uh, the fishing charter business will actually take guests to a, we call it fly fishing. You fly out <laughs> fly to fishing. Yeah. Island. That's funny. No uh, pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended, fly fishing. And then you go surf fishing at the barrier islands. So as soon as you step off the float, uh, you're in waist deep water and you're ready to fish. Uh, we also serviced some houseboats out there. there. There were a lot more prior to Katrina, uh, but there still are some out there. We'll take passengers from their private plane at Lakefront Airport, fly them straight down to Venice Marina so they can save that uh, three-hour drive from down there and turn that into 30 minutes to get to their destination. And we also do pipeline patrol for the oil field industry. That's something that we're still actively doing right now. Uh, one of the things that the company diversified was that we do have a full service maintenance shop and prior to um, the downturn, it was just serviced as a shop 
for our own airplanes, uh, open that up to servicing different customers' airplanes all around us, uh, providing maintenance services. Uh, at one point, we were restoring Cessna 185s one after mm -hmm. the next. Talented group of mechanics we've, we uh, have had through our shop and currently do still have. Um, over the years of our business, we've trained all of our pilots in-house. So from seaplane rating to part 135 charter seaplane pilot all the way up to there, all the training they would need and all the tools that they need to actually perform seaplane operations safely and as a charter professional seaplane pilot. So that was the next natural step for us to, to get into was to take all the tools that we've been using to teach our pilots over the years and introduce that to the rest of the world um, for people in, to come on out and learn how to fly seaplanes with us. And I just want to point out the fact that the fact that you have maintenance for customers, for students that bring you know their aircraft to you, that isn't a common thing. We've talked about it before on this podcast, the fact that you need to find a qualified maintenance facility. So either going to your float manufacturer and asking for their recommendations, finding a place like Amphibians Plus here in Bartow with Harry Shannon, but finding a qualified maintenance facility that can work and do good work on seaplanes. It's not everywhere. Uh, I I agree with you. Um, and, uh, and some students have come to us to get training in their own aircraft and, um, a lot of times we ended up we end up working on their planes while they have it here with us. Um, and you're right. We another thing that we have done in the past is somebody buys a seaplane and they say, "I have a mechanic. He regularly works on my airplanes, but he knows nothing about floats." Right. Well, they could travel to us with their mechanic, and we can go over some basic things that the mechanic really should pay attention to. And introduce them to what we see on an everyday basis. So good grief, you're not only teaching the the flying aspect to the customer, to the student, but you're teaching the mechanics so that they can work on the plane. I mean, that's a pretty... We can do that too. That's pretty full service. Yeah. I can't imagine anything that goes more in depth than that. Yeah, they've got to... You know, if we can do it with within our own company, why not do it for everybody else in the general public too? Absolutely. Yeah, your experience on 185s, especially, I mean, in a lot of the aircraft, but 185s you've been using a lot, uh, but also the experience with PK floats. I mean, I don't know a lot of shops that have the knowledge of PK floats because you guys have kind of favored those in the past, I know. You know, we've had a lot of floats come in and out. Um, P Honestly, we worked on all of them. Uh, you name it, we've worked on them, uh, PK a lot of Edo floats, uh, mainly when we're talking about straight floats. Uh, you're right about the Cessna 185, because in South Louisiana, the 185 is the workhorse uh, of the area. You know, high wing works great for our general area, and the Cessna 185 straight float is just some great performing airplane. Uh, but we also, we've dealt with the whipline amphibs. Uh, we've dealt with Aeroset. We have Aeroset in our fleet. Uh, we, we've got parts for all of them on our shelf in our parts room. I can tell you that at least. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of aircraft are you currently operating for training now? Cause I know you've had a historically a super diverse fleet. We do have a super diverse fleet. Um, you know, pre COVID, I would have told you that we trained in every aircraft in our fleet. Uh, but because of all of our air tour business, uh, coming to a halt, for COVID times, which we all understand. Uh, we have put a few on ground coverage, but currently at the moment, 
we're training in our Cessna 172 straight float, our Cessna 185 straight float and amphibian, and Cessna 206 straight float. Um, in about a month, we're going to acquire a second 172 straight float, and this is going to give us the ability to give seaplane ratings to groups of people that want to travel together as friends to come get their rating together. Uh, come to the city of New Orleans, come get your seaplane rating, make a vacation out of it. Uh, having two of them will allow us to accommodate a group of four very easily. And we can put two students up in the air at the same time with two different instructors and really, really get the training to kind of move as a good flow. Um, and we also are looking to expand into a multi-engine seaplane very soon trying to develop a curriculum for that as well. Ooh, what are you looking at? Uh, we're looking at an Aztec uh, for us. I, I think for our operations, for uh, a standpoint of what we are outfitted for, how we physically take the planes in and out the water every day when you're looking at a straight fluid, I really think we're looking at an Aztec. That's really kind of our number one option right now. Very nice. Wow. You know, so you just made my day because anytime we can make more multi-engine <laughs> seaplane pilots, especially because it's such a unique aircraft to fly in and do training in, uh, anytime we can open up a new opportunity to create multi-engine seaplane pilots and a very unique uh, aircraft to do the training in, I am super happy. So thank you guys. That's good news. You're welcome. And I'm actually really interested, you know, coming from just teaching on straight floats, how does that work? Have you noticed any, you know, considerations going back and forth from teaching on straight versus amphibs? Do you have like checklists that you like to go through on straight floats with the consideration that I, the student may go on to an amphib? I have a recommendation that I normally always recommend to new seaplane pilots, and that is to just get your rating in a straight float and get your license to learn and you have your rating and then go further and get some more training in an amphibious aircraft. Uh, you've already learned the skills that you need to operate a seaplane. Now let's learn the skills to operate an amphibious aircraft. Um, you know, getting your check ride in a straight float airplane removes the gear factor for your check ride. Uh, get your rating out the way. And, you know, an amphib is definitely a completely different animal. And you really should learn from somebody who's implemented them on a day-to-day -day basis because uh, there is a lot to learn about them. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, your training there, you know, as a as someone who's done the training is, is amazing. So uh, good stuff there. So I want to know a little bit about the course schedule. What can students expect when they come to you for a rating and make me a seaplane pilot? Well, we have a um, basic course called the float plane proficiency training. It's a structured course. It's 141 approved. Uh, we follow a training course outline. It can be completed in two to three days. Uh, the course is three lessons, one hour each. This is going to include all your ground instruction and flight training maneuvers covered in the check ride, uh, such as taxiing and sailing, your normal takeoffs and landings, uh, your normal approach and landings, your proper attitudes of landings and taking off, confined area, glassy water, rough water, of course, your emergency operations, uh, and then your post-landing procedures. When you land, the fun's not over. You still have to learn to dock, 
So sometimes it's the most challenging part of it. It's one thing to fly, but you still got to learn to dock. Um, I, I've been told by multiple students that uh, we have the most competitive rate out there. Uh, we have all-inclusive rates for our our planes, depending on which aircraft you'd like to utilize for the training. Uh, for a flat rate of $1975, uh, that would include completion of the course in our 172, the rental of the aircraft for the check ride, and the examiner fee. So for 1975 as a complete package, you can complete either your private or commercial seaplane rating. Now we also offer that in our Cessna 185, the same program for 3200 and the Cessna 206 for uh, 3800. I'd say the majority of our of pilots use the Cessna 172. It's the most economical one out there. Uh, some people do prefer to fly a high performance seaplane or they want something bigger uh, than a 172 just for their own personal comfort. It really depends on the student. I uh, would say though that the majority of students go with the 172 for this particular course. Sure, how do you think the 172 holds up as a training machine? Uh, honestly, if you can fly uh, an underpowered 172, you can surely <laughs> fly an overpowered 185. <laughs> I, w- I was going to step in on that one because uh, I like the fact that you guys use a low horsepower 172 because there is nothing finer than teaching the art of finding the step and getting off the water. Patience, patience. <laughs> you you got to know the sweet spot and you got to know where it is and it takes an art form to do it. I really like that. You're not yanking anything off the water. You're not yanking a 172 on floats off the water. I, I went to a... No, you're not. Off the water. That's for sure. You know, it's funny because... But I, we can teach techniques to be able to uh, get an airplane like a 172 that's a little underpowered to be able to get it off the water and there's no yanking involved that's for sure (laughs) and the fact that you're flying in such an industrial area I mean I've been to New Orleans and I know you know the towers the wires I'm looking around like how is anyone learning how to fly a seaplane here so what is that like I mean you got hurricanes on one side you got the city on the other what is that like hurricanes on one side there's a geographic area for Okay, her. listen, listen. <laughs> trying to dramatize it a little bit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, you guys well, aren't flying I hurricanes. Don't want to put that I out there. I say that the past hurricane season was definitely an adventure. Um, I lost track of the amount of times we were located in the dreaded cone of era. And that we and rescheduled this very podcast. <laughs> yeah, yes, multiple times. And if COVID wasn't enough, I, I really did not want to stock and restock my house for basic essentials way more than I really wanted to. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's a way of life and that's what we embrace down here. Um, As far as the industrialization of the area, I guess that's kind of second nature to us, but it's also, I I do think it works to our advantage um, because we're not uh, in the middle of people's houses and making a lot of noise. We are inside of the Navy base of New Orleans airspace Uh, We use them as our control tower, and I can guarantee you that their F-18s make a whole lot more noise than we make. So So seaplanes are not a factor there. (laughs) No, no, no. We're not getting anybody complaining about that. That's for sure. Uh, Those complaints will be forwarded over to uh, the Navy base. Um, Or or the shipbuilding or, or all the other things that are going on, right, with your neighbors there. 
Exactly, exactly. So we're, you know, we do have a quieter area that we're in, uh, but we do have a very unique geographical location. Uh, Louisiana is very seaplane friendly. Our own government uh, will operate their own seaplanes. We have access to so many waterways and bodies of water that we can simulate just about any type of environment, confined area with low-lying tree lines, short field simulations, open water, beaching, river current, uh, we, you name it, we can simulate it. Uh, one of the things that we do is we've done some international training students from the Philippines, China, Africa, Bangladesh, Brazil. One day I'm gonna put it all on a map. It, it probably deserves to be put on some sort of map somewhere. Uh, but Google Earth is such a useful tool. Uh, we will have a student show us where they're trying to operate a seaplane. We zoom in on that area. We study it with them. We go out and we try and simulate what they may encounter in that area. And I couldn't stress enough how useful Google Earth would really be in this, in this type of training, especially if somebody is trying to operate a seaplane that maybe nobody else has ever been in that area before. So let's try and eliminate any factors that could be an issue before you actually encounter it. Southern um, Seaplane, the, you know, the sponsor, the official sponsor of Google Maps. Of Google Earth. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe I need to get in touch with them. <laughs> we'll send them the podcast. <laughs> so so there's one thing that you know when we think about flying seaplanes and in most cases, and when we think about seaplane training, I think people think about going to a school that's based on a lake or you know on, on a river or something else. You guys have a unique situation with with you know, what we fondly call ditch pilots and uh, explain yes. a little bit about the special challenges of learning to fly seaplanes at Southern Seaplane. Um, well, we are called ditch pilots uh, by name. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the challenges. I guess it's kind of second nature to me because this is where I grew up learning how to fly seaplanes. Uh, so basically, I would think one of your biggest challenges is how to determine what waterway is safe for you to land in. And when I mean safe is, is it deep enough? Is it wide enough? Is it long enough? If it's somewhere that you haven't been. Um, a couple ways that my father has learned to, he's taught me is that if you see crab traps, it's deep enough for you to land. <laughs> so I, know, I know that if I see the crab trap, all right, well, it's deep enough to land. Um, so, you know, you need a few feet, but there are a few ways that we, we, try to figure out wind location because you don't have a wind sock. You don't have a control tower telling you which way the wind's coming from, which way to taxi. You're, you're the sole decision maker. You're making decisions on where to land. You're making decisions on where to taxi, where you should step taxi, where you should slow taxi, uh, current. Uh, there are so many different factors. And that's really what I love about flying in our area is you really can encounter so many different things to the point where you get exposed to a lot of different things in one environment that you can't get in another environment. Um, and then also a, a great thing about our location is that we are so close to the practice area. I can promise you that half the locals don't even know how close they live to water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we bring them up in the air and they're, they're astounded at like, Whoa, okay. I've lived this close to water. So you get up in the air once you're clear of class delta, 
you have so much at your disposal. It's very little deadhead time, which means more practice time for the student as opposed to being in transit to and from the practice area. Well, I think, you know, when we talk about the ditch pilot thing, the thing that I, you know, really resonates to me is that blind turn that you come around on as you come up on power and you can, if you go all the way down by the bridge there, you're actually coming around a turn in a very confined mm-hmm. uh, waterway, but also you have embankments on either side. So the, the ground is a lot higher than you are in this very confined, yes. narrow area. And you're coming up on step, you know, with the nose and a high attitude coming around the corner, uh, transitioning to being on step from, from the plow position. Yeah. I mean, you, you described it perfectly right. You, you're, you're a little bit in the blind, uh, but I guess you do learn and it comes second nature that you're sitting below the land. <laughs> By quite a bit. You. Uh, you are below sea level. Your, uh, you know, your altimeter is not incorrect. You are below <laughs> sea level. Um, so it, it is a challenge. And you, I, like I said, I, I take, I guess I take it for granted because I grew up learning in an area just like that, but you kind of use a lot of different senses, uh, your peripheral vision, and you need to learn to get it on the step a whole lot faster so you can really see where you're going. (laughs) But then when you get on the step, you know, if you're training a student in the 172 and you're talking about this finesse of finding the step and being patient, building that airspeed, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm sort of looking at myself and... I I think what it's a lot, it's empty parking lot. That's what I'm, that's what I feel like I'm training in, you know, all the lakes at my disposal, everything's a playground and I don't have to worry about too much. I'm really looking forward to going up there and maybe Steve like dragging me along somewhere. Uh, Yeah. Well, we'll have to get the super cup up there. (laughs) Getting me up there. The instructors, we have all learned through being a charter 135 seaplane pilot that um, you learn how to fly with a full load and in order to simulate that in training an instructor could manipulate the power to simulate what it's like to feel a load in the airplane it's one thing to fly you and an instructor and you're going out in an airplane it's another thing to put passengers in the airplane with you if you can't find the sweet spot with you and an instructor you're not going to find it with passengers in the airplane behind you either so the instructor utilizing the power to simulate that and then being able to show the student where the sweet spot is, it, you know, you'll go out just like you say in a parking lot. Well, we'll just go find a waterway somewhere to be able to go simulate that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I always like doing that, you know, when we didn't have glassy water and I need the student to simulate how long it's going to take and how patient you need to be holding that sweet spot, building that airspeed. You know, you bring a little power back and they want so badly to do something. Because yeah. they're sitting there and they're thinking they're doing something wrong. And then they start getting funky. They start messing with the pitch. They start yanking and pushing. It's like, no, no, no. Just relax. Just ask her off the water. So it's just it's cool talking with another seaplane pilot. And, that does that. So, and yeah. That and experiences that. With their 172, what I really like. So I've you know been to some schools, and we won't mention any names, but they, they literally are flying a Top Cub, you know, which is so high performance. And it's got VGs and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, take you just blast through the steps so fast. There's no way you're going to keep that airplane from from flying. Right. And so the students, you know, I always encourage them to, you know, do a 2100 RPM takeoff. And I even do that in my Super Cub. 
you know, so you can really figure out and find that sweet spot. And it's a great uh, demonstration for the for the students. And so learning in that 172, I think, again, really helps them learn something that if they're learning how to fly in a in a super cub or a top cub or, you know, any of those kind of airplanes, you just blast right through and it and it's not much of a challenge. But with the 172, you really get a chance to explore that. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things about Southern Seaplanes now, you can get there, you can fly into uh, commercial, and uh, it's a, you know, a short drive from the airport there. There's great lodging there. Uh, you can f- uh, drive there, obviously. You have great access f- uh, for driving in, but you guys also uniquely have your own airstrip uh, paved runway there. Uh, we do. We have a, a 3,200 by 40 foot asphalt runway. It parallels our waterway. Uh, it makes us a really great, great candidate for somebody trying to put their plane on floats, fly in on wheels, fly out on floats. Uh, we, we've done quite a lot of that over the years uh, and recently. Um, but we do, we're able to fly, you know, we have a 210, assess a 210 land plane, and we use that in our pipeline patrol um, and some small 135 flights and not doing too much of that right now, but uh, we still have the ability and we have customers that come to us. They want to get their seaplane rating. Hey, I have a Baron or I have a, you know, assess the 210, 172. Can I fly on in? Sure. Absolutely. Come on in, land straight at our base. Uh, you can get a rental car straight from uh, one of the local places. So it kind of makes this an easy one-stop shop. There's not too much travel. You can stay at a hotel five minutes away. You're really close or you can stay in the city either way. It just that that's a preference of whoever's coming and traveling in our area with their, with their idea of what they're traveling for. Is it just for the seaplane rating? Is it for the experience of also visiting the city? Uh, so yes, we do have that, that asphalt runway. It definitely comes in handy. Um, we're kind of a little small, small little airport that could, I guess you can say. <laughs> so I, I, I'll tell a story here. Mark Twombly will hate this because he was fly, He kept flying over. I think it was either Mark or, or, or one of the other pilots in our member trip. Uh, kept flying right over, and they were looking for it, and they couldn't find it because it's literally buried in the industrial area there, and they couldn't even. They were going right over it. I always tell people, again, use Google Earth. I don't mean to plug Google Earth. I'm not getting paid by them, I promise. But if you're flying in and you're landing on our hard surface runway, 100%, you're going to need that uh, pre-flight little planning at time to find our runway. Absolutely. Because we'll, we'll know. We'll see him circling around and circling around. And I believe when Mark was landing we got on the navy air you know the uh frequency just to talk him into where we are exactly um but it has it's common it happens yeah like do your homework before you come land to our hard service runway 100 <laughs> percent. so spa has had a really long relationship with southern seaplane i think i've been flying there for over 20 years and i love it as you know uh we've consumed more than our fair share of oysters and uh sparkling beverages together um, and you guys even very graciously hosted our 2019 member trip. And I'd really like to thank you for doing that. Uh, you guys have a really uh, first rate school, your knowledge of seaplane flying and, and the way that you can impart that knowledge uh, is really stellar. Um, 
what do you think? That's my perspective. But what do you think makes Southern Seaplane such a, a good operation, first-rate operation? You know, the most common compliment I get is the quality of instruction. All of our instructors have flown for us as a Part 135 seaplane charter pilot. They're not just an instructor that has a seaplane rating. They have real-world experience. And the students can see that come to light during their training. They love learning from someone who has implemented their skills professionally. Um, so the students really pick up on that. And our, our instructors are really passionate about what they do. So they, they, it's not just a job. They really do love to pass on their art form. Uh, another thing I think that helps us stand out and just like with the member trip that you talked about, Steve, we, we loved to host you guys. And part of that is our Southern hospitality. And you combine that Southern hospitality with the fact that we are a family owned business. We're trying to bring everybody into our culture and welcome everybody as family. And if we can all just have some fun while we learn, then, <laughs> then great. Uh, we try to make it just a fun atmosphere because you're coming for a fun rating. Uh, this isn't supposed to be something that's too exhausting. It's supposed to be fun. And when everybody lands from their first training flight, it's grin from ear to ear. And you just seeing that smile is what makes you think, okay, the student's happy. Everybody's happy. Uh, and it's just a great experience. Isn't that amazing though? And then they almost, they're tricked into learning. They realize that, oh, I learned all this stuff, but I had a great time. This was such memorable. I got pictures. I, I did sightseeing. And then at the end, oh, yeah, I also get to go take a check ride and get this neat rating. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, I can I go on. I, I can go it. on about it forever because my memories have been so good with you guys, spending time with you and the family and flying with, with your pilots. I always feel so at home. I feel like it's I'm coming back home. When I when I come to Southern Seaplane, so uh, you guys definitely create a unique atmosphere, and it's super enjoyable. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to get that positive feedback because that's exactly what we're trying to to show everybody and and to uh, just show that Southern hospitality. Lacey, thank you so much for joining us. I know that we've been back and forth for a while. I'm so glad we could make this happen. Before we sign off, I'd like to give a shout out to Kelly O'Donnell. I just got an email from her with all the updates she's been doing for the Water Landing Directory. She's been working with Mark Rassi, who is our chairman of the Water Landing Directory, and she's updated over 200 bodies of water in Florida. I'm I'm still in awe. I looked at the email and I looked at her Excel spreadsheet. So Kelly, just as far as, you know, volunteer of the year awards go, you are you are top notch. For the other people that have volunteered, that have put themselves out there as possible volunteers, thank you so much. This organization could not run without volunteers and without passion that you guys are willing to put out for us. Yeah, thank you, Kelly. We really appreciate it. I don't know that... I'm waiting for the phone call from Mark Rassi on the updates. Oh, poor Mark. Oh, he's going <laughs> to love it, though. He loves it. So really, I mean, people talk about the water landing directory and how useful it is. And again... Having people put the time and, and Kelly's time to, to do that many waterways is just amazing. So, Kelly, thank you very much. I'm just excited to have all these, like, passionate ladies around me. Like, yeah, not going to yeah. lie, we're talking to Lacey. <laughs> like, we got Kelly O'Donnell. So, Lacey, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we've got to get... Thank you, too. Likewise, Abby. It is nice to talk to another female, that's for sure. <laughs> 
So Lacey, thank you so much for joining us as our first seaplane school to come on the show as we start this series where we feature all the different places that you can either go get seaplane training or do that SES rating. So uh, we highly encourage you to consider Southern Seaplane when you're making that uh, decision. And we look forward to highlighting both you in the future and and your school, because we have a lot of other things to talk about that you guys do, but also all the other fantastic schools that are out there. So for Abby Kellett and myself, Steve McCaughey, blue skies and calm waters till next time. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.